This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Good morning, everybody. It's good to see so many of you. I was sitting side stage as Sarah was sharing that communion meditation, and I was just thinking, me too. You know, like everything she said is everything I believe about you and about us. And so I say that what she says is what I say about you guys too. I love, I love this church. I love this community, this gathering. You guys are awesome. And it's so fun to be a part of what God's doing. Um, hey, I want to talk about, about something. And I know we're all thinking about it, but Maria, my wife, and I were having a conversation this morning. And she said, man, there's just so much pain with the natural disasters happening around the world and so much happening. We should pray about it. And I said, well, we, we are praying about it. She's like, no, I mean like you should pray about it to the church. And when you're the pastor's wife, there are certain things you get to say, you know? And I said, well, I, I think we are, right? I mean, if I'm, if I'm right, we are praying. Are we not praying? We are praying. Good. I want us to be praying. I want us to be praying. Here's what I was thinking today, though. I was thinking, you know, if I could hope for anything, I would hope for small gatherings like New Life, all over Florida and all over Texas and all over the Caribbean to be rising up in these moments and to be loving and serving and caring for people the way that I know that this community responds when tragedy happens around us. And, and I am praying, boy, I'm praying for protection. I'm praying for hope in the midst of devastation as people go back to their houses, not just in the United States, but all over the Caribbean right now. And I'm praying for protection and safety. And I'm praying that God's people in these local gatherings, these churches would rise up because these are the moments that we really are the hope of the world. That the church says, I'm going to love and give and serve and be part of something outside of myself. And what I'd like to do, because I know we're all praying right now for protection for people and safety, I'd like to actually pray for the churches to rise up in these places. And I'd invite you, if you're a praying person, to join me right now as we pray, and then we'll dive in. Lord, we are together praying. Um, we're not ultimately caught off guard by natural disasters. In fact, the Bible tells us very clearly that natural disasters happen because all of creation is groaning like, you say it's like childbirth pains, groaning at this break that has happened between you and this world that you created, God. And part of that groaning and part of that break is that the world does not function the way that you designed it to. And God, we know that you are with women and men and children in these hurricane-depleted areas, that your desire is protection and safety and hope. And we do ask for those things. And we also, as a community of people who believe in you and believe in loving this world as an expression of our love for you, we ask, Jesus, that you would be continuing to stir in local church gatherings all over Florida and Texas and the Caribbean to rise up and to love and give and live and serve beyond themselves in these moments so that as people are walking back into situations that in many ways feel hopeless, that your hope, that your rebuilding, that your, um, your peace would begin to pervade areas that feel very hopeless and painful and devoid of peace in these moments. Jesus, would you do that? And in whatever way that you would use us individually and as a church community, would you use us as well? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Amen. All right, friends, you're going to want to grab a few things. You're going to want to grab um, your all-access pass, which is otherwise known as your Start Here card. This is your all-access pass to new life. This gives you complete access to our pastoral team so we can pray for you and partner with you and support you. Um, This is where, if you want information about ministries, you mark down your card. We can get you information about ministries. Uh, This is just your way to connect with us. When we have things that we're talking about or highlighting, you can be um, taking action steps using this communication tool. So I would invite you to grab this and get it filled out. The other thing I'm going to invite you to grab are your teaching notes. They'll tell you the story we're looking at today because we're looking at a big story about someone who becomes one of the most famous people in the Bible. But at the time we're looking at him, he's a teenager. He's a kid. He's like the youngest brother of these big, strong, older brothers. And and no one really listens to him or looks at him, and yet God uses him in some pretty powerful ways. So we're going to look at his story. You're going to want to grab that today. And as you're doing those things, I wonder uh, if you would just take a journey with me for a few minutes. See, my wife and I are about to celebrate 11 years of marriage, which, thank you, yeah. That's, you know, for some of you, that's not very long. For some of you, it's like, eh, 11 years. I remember when I was 11 years, you know, like, okay, that's cool. For some of you, that seems like forever. Here's what I'll say. For me, this is the longest I've ever been married. So for me, it's a big deal. And we're about to celebrate 11 years. And I was thinking back to our wedding day and realizing that as I woke up on our wedding morning, my groomsmen did not do what they're supposed to do. What are groomsmen supposed to do on the wedding day? Keep you from fleeing the country. That's what they're supposed to do. My groomsmen were sound asleep all over my parents' house, just sprawled out. They ate my parents' food, you know, sound asleep. I woke up at 6 a.m., sat in the kitchen table where I grew up and started to think back over what brought me to that moment. Because marriage would become a defining moment in my life, but the truth about defining moments is they don't just happen. I didn't just wake up that day and think, oh my gosh, I think I'll get married today. So I started thinking back about our relationship. When I met my wife, she was living 2,000 miles away in Wisconsin. And if you know anything about Wisconsin, it's like the evil empire. Um, Because I'm a Bears fan and the Packers are in Wisconsin. So anytime you go in there, it's like enemy territory. I'm just, I'm telling it like it is. So, so... I go to Wisconsin. My wife's working at the national office for this ministry I was part of. I was taking a seminary or a Bible course out there. And we toured the office, and there was my wife. And she was, like, smoking hot. She was great and and kind, and she actually talked to me. It was lovely. And we had this interaction. And then six months later, I went to this conference for all of the campus pastors all over the United States in St. Louis. In order to get there, I had to catch the red eye, and then I slept in the baggage claim for like two or three hours on my, on my suitcase, and I had hair back then, so I showed up at the hotel. My hair was kind of like this, you know, and who was out there but Maria, this woman who would become my wife. And a little note is when I first met her, she was wearing this really cool red watch, like this chunky big watch, and so I'm walking up and exhausted and blurry from catching the red eye and thinking, don't mess this up. Don't mess this up. Have a good opening line. Say something clever and creative. You know, she's got to remember you. And I walked up to her and I was like, hey, I remember you. You're the girl with the red watch. (laughs) Crickets. Because, like, only stalkers remember that level of detail. She's like, who are you? So she gave me this weird look, like, whatever, 11 years. She gave me that look. And I left. Little did I know, she then went to her best friend and said, and I might be kind of tweaking this, but this is how I remember. She said, oh my gosh, that Adonis from California, that paragon of beauty, 
he remembered my name. Well, he remembered my watch, but it was close. So I found ways to find her over the next week at this conference. Six months later, I'm back in Wisconsin at the Evil Empire and uh, taking a, a Bible course out there again. And we start dating and um, we took a walk down to a lake because Wisconsin has lakes everywhere. And it was beautiful. The, the moon was out. The lake was there. Muskrats were swimming. Muskrats are like giant rats. Muskrats were swimming through the water. And, um, and the moment was set. And so, so I leaned in to kiss her for our first kiss. And we kissed and it was great. And then we separated and we looked over. And from me to the cross, there were these, these racks of canoes sitting there. And there was like a spot inside. And there was a homeless gentleman who was under the canoes just staring at us like this. Super creepy. So I said, well, this is a fun moment. Why don't we walk a little further down? So we walked another hundred yards down. And we tried again. We kissed again. And we've been trying ever since. Pretty soon we're going we're gonna to figure it out. But I like trying. And um, she moved to California 10 months later. We got engaged 10 months later. We find ourselves on our wedding day. And I realized I didn't just show up one morning and think I'm going to get married. Every defining moment. And think about this. It could be career. It could be a key relationship. It could be marriage or kids. It could be a key relationship with God. But every defining moment that we have, we've been prepared for in some way. Now, I would say this. I would say God actually prepares us for these moments. That there is a God who knows you and loves you and dreams and plans for you and prepares you for defining moments in your life. But we never stumble upon them. We're always prepared beforehand for them. And we're starting this brand new series called Engage. And in this series, we're going to unpack what our next 20 years is going to look like as a church, because we're about to celebrate our 20th birthday as a church. And I, yeah, it's a big deal. Here's why. I know you guys are like, meh, 11 years, 20 years, numbers. Here's why this is a big deal. Most churches that, that plant, that start, make it two or three years and close their doors. You just, it's hard to do around the, the country, even like in the Bible Belt where everybody's going to church much less in Sonoma County, where only a few percent of people actually are engaging with God in church. But over the last 20 years, when most of the churches in our community have decreased in size and vision and scope and what's next, God has blessed this community, and we've increased in size and vision and scope and hope. And so we're going to talk about the last 20 years, because God has been preparing us in this season for what God's going to do next. We're going to talk about not just what we are going to do in this next season, but really who we're going to be in the next 20 years of our church's life. So that the next 20 years are the best 20 years. And I'm going to call our church in the next six weeks of this series, I'm going to call us to mobilize around three key areas that I believe are going to allow us to love more deeply than we ever have, to serve more fully than we ever thought possible, to unleash compassion into these communities in Sonoma County, to care for children, to care for students, to give families what they need to equip them, to partner with people who are forgotten. Three key areas I believe God's going to mobilize us. Do you want to know what they are? Okay, come back next week because I'm going to talk all about it next week. See what we did there? You got to come back next week because the thing that God is doing, we can't just talk about in one week. My goal is not just to like, like 
get us excited and whip us into a fury and then send us out. My goal is to actually have honest, deep conversations that have us engaging with God and engaging with each other and and getting into small groups and having conversations and praying and processing together. Because like we like to say at New Life, we don't microwave ideas here. We like to crockpot ideas. What's the difference? You microwave a meal, you pull it out, you eat it, it sustains you. Okay, you crockpot a meal, it sits in there all day long, you open the door and the flavors hit you and the smells and you start to salivate. It's like, oh, that's so good. What we want to do over these next six weeks is crockpot, is marinate an idea about who God is calling us to be in this next season as a church. And what we're going to do is we're actually going to link our story up with a story of someone in the Bible. Because our story, while it seems big to us because we're in it, our story is a small part of a grand story that God has been telling and retelling through the lives of his people for thousands of years. And so I want to look at the defining moment of a man who would become king, the most influential king that God's people had ever known. They still tell, still tell stories about him, write songs about him. This king was awesome in so many ways, but we're not going to look at him as a king. We're actually going to go back in his life and pick up his story when he's about 10 or 11 or 12 years old. The runt of a family with a lot of older brothers. And we're going to pick up on a defining moment in his life where everyone in his circle saw a giant obstacle that could not be overcome. But this teenage boy saw a giant opportunity that God was preparing him for. Because the story that God's writing in us is a big story, a grand story. It's a story about giants. Giants that others would look at and say, there's no way that giant can be overcome. But giants that I believe God invites us to look at and say, no, that's a giant opportunity for God to do great things. There are three key characters in this story that we're going to have to remember and become familiar with. It takes place around this nation that is God's unique people. Sometimes they're known as the Jewish people or the Israelites or the nation of Israel. So you're going to hear about them. And then there are three guys. There's the current king. His name is Saul. And Saul became king and things were going pretty well for a while. But then God wanted Saul to engage with him this direction. Saul chose to go this direction. He kind of left God's leadership, left God's partnership. And so what God did was God said, I cannot have a king who's not going to partner with me. So God took his influence and his blessing off of Saul. And he went to a guy called Samuel. And Samuel was a prophet. And here's the role of prophets in the Bible. The prophet's job was to hear from God and speak God's words to people. So God comes to this prophet named Samuel and he says, Saul's no longer my guy. He's not going to be my king. Now he's still going to be king for a while, but eventually he's not going to be king any longer. I want you to go and set up another king to anoint or to bless another king. You can think about it like this. You know, the day after the presidential election, when there's a new president that's just been voted in. So we've got the reigning president and then we've got this this other president who will become president, but he's not quite president yet. And they have to wait a handful of months until the inauguration takes over. But for a while, you've got two. Can you picture that? This is what's going on with Saul and this king that we're going to find out about, except it's not a few months. It's more like 15 years where we've got this king. And then we've got this other guy who God has blessed to become king, who's learning what it means to walk with God so that God can do great things through him. 
So God comes to this prophet named Samuel, and he says, I want you to go to this little podunk town called Bethlehem. Find a guy named Jesse. Jesse's got eight sons. One of the sons is going to be king. And so Samuel goes to Bethlehem, finds Jesse, grabs him and says, I want you to get all your sons together. And this is where we're going to pick up the story. And this is where we're going to meet our third character, this teenage boy who would someday become king. It's in 1 Samuel chapter 16, beginning in verse 10. It says that Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen any of these. So picture Cinderella. You remember the evil stepsisters? And the guy comes to try on the glass slipper and says, are these all the women in your house? Oh yeah, these are all. You've got the sisters there with the feet that are too big and the warts on the toes and they're shoving the feet into the glass slippers. This is what's happening here in the Bible. He says, bring me all of your sons. Jesse brings seven of his sons. Samuel looks at him and says, no, 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 no. Is this all of them? And he says, well, they're still the youngest. But Jesse doesn't even bring him into the picture. He's not even on his radar as someone who could be something great. They're still the youngest, but he's out tending sheep. Remember that, because that's going to come into play later. He's out tending sheep. Samuel said, well, send for him. We're not going to sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him. He had him brought in, and he was glowing with health. He had a fine appearance and handsome features. And the Lord said, rise up and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed David in the presence of his brother. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully on David. So we've got this great scene. David, the youngest of his brothers, in front of all of his brothers and his dad, anointed king. But he's a kid. He's like 10 to 13. He's like your annoying little junior high brother who you're like, oh, get away. We're hanging out with the teenagers now. Like, ugh, ugh. That's David. He's this, he's this shepherd who's got a, a handful of sheep, who's not like big and strong like everybody else. He's, he's, he's a poet. He's an artist. He's a musician. His brothers are like football players and rugby players and soccer players, because soccer players are clearly very tough. I know I was one. And here's what's so interesting about this story that God has this great way, this long history of inviting unlikely people to do great things. If you survey the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, what you're going to find is that God loves to use unlikely people. God took this crazy moon-worshiping, wife-swapping liar named Abraham, and through Abraham, he made an entire nation that became God's chosen set-apart people. God took this murdering, running for his life guy named Moses, who whenever things got like really intense, he started to stutter and couldn't speak. And God took Moses and he used Moses. He said to him, I'm going to make you the mouthpiece to Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world. And I'm going to use you to free my people from slavery that they'd been in for 400 years. This guy who could not do anything, who could not talk, became a mouthpiece. He took this woman named Esther who was the second wife of a cruel king. And he used this unlikely person, this woman named Esther, to rescue her people from what could have been a community-ending genocide that wiped out an entire nation. She rescued a nation from genocide. And then we come to new lifers. This group of 
awkward, fun, funny, love to be together people who are led by this pastor who's a seminary dropout, who says almost everything that comes to his mind all the time, who has to ask at least his wife for forgiveness, if not God for forgiveness, on a regular basis. And I wonder if God's saying, you're exactly the type of people that I use to do great things. You're exactly who I use. Remember, we are a small part of a big story that God has been telling and retelling for thousands of years. And God looks at us and he says, could you be the people that change the spiritual climate of Sonoma County, that do something that no one else has been able to do in an entire generation. God just has a history of using unlikely people to do great things. Now, if you flip over the page in your Bible to 1 Samuel chapter 17, you and I flip over a page, we're reading our Bible, we flip it over and we think, oh, the next page, it must be the next day. But this isn't actually the next day. In between 1 Samuel 16 and 1 Samuel 17, we have about a three-year gap. So David gets anointed to become the future king. He won't become king for like 15 years. But three years have gone by. And in that three-year gap, God's people and this other group called the Philistines have come into stark conflict. And if you read the Old Testament of the Bible, you see the Philistines and the Israelites fighting over and over and over again. And they're coming to one of these battles. And it sets the stage for David's defining moment. Check out 1 Samuel 17 beginning uh, uh, in the beginning, because that's a very good place to begin. It says, the Philistines gathered their forces for war, and they assembled uh, there in Judah. Because, listen, you're not going to remember the name of that anyway, so I'm not going to try to pronounce it. They assembled there. It's in your notes. And they pitched camp at that spot. Verse 2. And Saul, remember, Saul is the king. God's presence has left him, but he's still the king. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Allah, and they drew up battle lines to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill, the Israelites occupied another, and there was a great valley in between the two. Can you picture the scene? Two battling groups coming for war. The the troops come up against each other. They're looking at each other across this big valley. And there was this champion named Goliath who was from Gath, and he came up from the Philistine camp. He was like six cubits in span. I know what you're thinking, six cubits. Listen, he was tall. He was tall, like nine feet tall. He was tall. He had on a bronze helmet. He wore a coat of scaled armor that was heavy, 5,000 shekels. On his legs, he wore bronze, and he had a bronze javelin slung over his back. His spear was the size of a a weaver's rod, and he had iron point, and it, it weighed 600 shekels. He also had his armor bearer. Here's what you need to know about Goliath. He was gigantic. He was huge. Egyptian scrolls that have been found, as well as Jewish scrolls. This isn't just a Bible thing. This is an ancient history thing. Egyptian scrolls and Jewish scrolls talk about this region of the world at this time, and they say that there were giants, people who were seven to ten feet tall, living in this region at this time. And in fact, archaeologists have recently discovered the remains of two women who were over seven feet tall from this region, and they can date them back to this period of time. These were tall people. And we're told Goliath is roughly nine to ten feet tall. Now, compare that to the average Jewish male at the time, who was roughly five feet tall. We've got a four-foot gap between Davy and Goliath. And David's only 15, 16, 17 years old. He's a teenager. 
He doesn't even have his driver's license yet. (laughs) And Goliath stood, verse 8, Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come and line up for battle? See, when we read the Bible, we read it like this. And he shouted at the ranks of Israel, Why do you come and line up for battle? But that's not exactly how someone shouts. Okay, if you don't believe me, go watch the Bears win their football game today and you'll see someone shouting. Okay, this is how you shout, people. Okay, so Goliath shouted at the ranks of Israel. Why do you come and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? Are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. And then the Philistine said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and the men charged the armies and they fought the Philistines. Oh no, that's not what it says, is it? No, what did, what did Saul and his men do? They were terrified. We find out later that they ran and hid. Now this was actually a fairly common practice in the ancient world because when one clan or group conquered another clan or group, that losing group would become servants and slaves of the winning group. But the problem was, if you went into battle and you killed everyone, you had no servants and slaves to take back with you. And so what they would do is they would bring out a champion versus a champion, and they'd fight one-on-one, man-on-man, winner-take-all. And if your group won, if your champion won, you took all of their people as slaves. And Goliath is saying, let's not fight our armies against each other. I'm the champion of Gath. I'm the Philistine giant. You send me your champion. Here's the interesting thing. The Israelites had a champion. We're going to talk about their champion in two weeks. But their champion went and hid with everybody else. Said it's somebody else's job to fight this giant. And so Saul, the king, he does what airlines do when they overbook a flight and realize they're in trouble. Saul starts making a deal with the people And then he sweetens it over and over and over again. So you know how an airline will be like, I'm sorry to say, but some of your vacation is going to be ruined. Um, But we'll offer you $50 and a free drink if you let us ruin your vacation. And you say, no, thank you. I don't think I want that for $50. I'll take my chances with YouTube. And um, too soon. So, So they say what? Um, we're actually going to offer $150 and two free drink coupons to anyone who will give up their ticket and wait for the next flight, which is only in 17 hours. And you sit around, look at each other, like who's going to be the chump to take it? And no one does. So what do they say next? Uh, we will offer three free tickets and two nights stay at the Walt Disney World Resort and free drink coupons for the entire plane, if you will take us up on this offer. And then someone jumps up and takes it. This is what King Saul does. He says, anybody who fights the giant, anybody and wins, I'll give you great wealth. And the whole army just packs away and says, no, I'm cool. He says, okay, um, I know what you're thinking. If I give you great wealth, you're going to have to pay heavy taxes. So anyone who fights the giant and wins, I'll give you great wealth and you'll never be taxed again. And everyone's like, oh, that's, that's, that's better. That's pretty bad. He's nine feet tall and I'm five foot nothing. We're cool. So he sweetens the deal again. He says, anyone who fights the giant and wins, I'll give you unbelievable wealth, 
no taxes, and you can marry my daughter and marry into the royal family. And at this point, people are thinking that might be worth risking my life for. And this is where David comes back on the scene. David, this teenage boy, was sent by his dad to find his older brothers. His brothers are in the army. He says, take your brothers some bread, some milk, get them some food to eat because they've, got, uh, they've been fighting for a long time. We're told that day after day after day, Goliath came out for 40 days and he taunted the armies. And day after day after day, the armies ran in fear and were terrified. David shows up and this is what he says. It says in verse 26, David asked the men standing near him because he sees this whole deal. He says, what will be done for the man who kills the Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Um, If you don't know what uncircumcised is, talk to your parents, okay? Um, We have great kids' ministries. If they brought you into this adult service, that's their deal. Talk to them. Okay, so all you got to know is um, God's people had this thing called circumcision. It was the way they were set apart. Yeah, Uh, no one else wanted to do it except them. So, who is this uncircumcised circumcised, yeah, uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Verse 27. Moving on. Verse 27. These people repeated to him what they'd been saying. They said, this is what will be done for the man who kills Goliath. Then Eliab, who was David's oldest brother, heard him speaking to the men and he burned with anger. And he said to David, why have you come here? And with whom did you leave those few little sheep in the wilderness? He says to his brother, I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart really is. You came down here to watch us die. Isn't it true that the people closest to us can hurt us the most deeply? So here's David, this guy who's been anointed king, set apart. His brothers were all there. They saw it. It says God's favor is on him and God's moving powerfully. He shows up and he says, I want to stand with God and I want to fight this giant. And his brother says to him, I know your heart. You're wicked and you're conceited and you just want us all to die. Because the truth is, anytime, anytime we take God-sized risks and face giant opportunities, we will be criticized and judged. Remember, our story is just one small story in a larger story. You know this in your life. When you broke some sort of destructive cycle in your life, those around you criticized. When you chose to live differently, raise your kids differently, try things differently, people who don't understand or feel bad, they criticize and they judge. Friends, I'm going to lay out a vision for us starting next week that is big and bold and daring, and it will need all of us to mobilize around it. All of us. And I already know we're going to get criticism from people out there. I'm not concerned about that. I'm not. Because people criticize things they don't understand or know. But the things we're talking about are simply outpourings of ways to love God and love people. But you know what hurts? And Sarah spoke about this when she talked about unity, and I love the unity in our church. But even as I was kind of sharing some of this vision, I've already had rumblings with a few people, not to me, but to each other. And in different words, here's what they said. Who does Kevin think he is? He's conceited and wicked. This isn't really for God and moving forward. This is about something else. And I want you to know it hurts. It hurts. 
But I know God has called us to something great. And I'm not willing to stop here. Criticism is just a natural part. But here's what I would say. I want us to talk. I want us to be a community that talks. We're spending six weeks on this because I don't want us to miss even a part of the conversation. This is why it's so important to be in a life group. Talk about questions. Talk about thoughts. Talk about fears. Talk about disagreements. But then can I ask you to do something? Talk to me. Talk to me. Listen, I'm the same guy who you loved two weeks ago. Talk to me. I'm not going to go hide out after service. I'll be right here. Come talk to me. Because what God wants to do is he wants to create unity and openness and conversation in this church. In a couple of weeks, I'm going to have a week where I'm just going to be at the church every night and your life group can just come and talk to me. Any questions you have, any thoughts you have, any ideas you have, any criticisms you have, talk to me so that we don't fall into the trap that these two fall into. I'm not understanding and choosing criticism. Can we just agree to that? Can we agree to be a church that talks to each other? Can we agree to never be that person to never be that person who walks away with a misunderstanding without first clearing it up. I don't want anybody to walk away. I believe what God's doing is great. And I'm going to be right here, baby. Just come talk to me. Just come talk to me. I love what David does next. David looks at his brother. He says, well, now what have I done? What have I done? It's like, come on, man. You know, you know have you ever, are you the youngest sibling? You know the feeling. Well, now what did I do? Everybody's mad at me. Can I even speak, David says. And then he just turns away from his brother. He went and talked to somebody else, and he brought the matter up again. And the man answered him as before. This is what the king will do for you. Verse 31. Then what David said was overheard and reported to King Saul, and Saul sent for David. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you're not able to go out and fight against this Philistine. You're only a young man, and he's been a warrior since his youth. David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When the lion or the bear came and carried off the sheep from the flock, I went after it and struck it and rescued it from the sheep's mouth. I kind of feel like they're on the Swiss family Robinson Island right now. Like, he needs to have a flock of sheep in Petaluma. We don't have bears and lions, okay? We have bobcats. We could fight bobcats, but he's got a bear and a lion. This is just the way my mind works. Okay. Apparently that doesn't strike you as odd. So David's out fighting these sheep. He says, when the bear and the lion came, I seized it, struck it, and I killed it. Verse 36, your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he's defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hands of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, good luck. He said, go, God, Lord be with you. Nice knowing you. But David knew something that Saul didn't. And this is so key. Saul looked across the valley and he saw Goliath and he saw a giant obstacle that could not be overcome. And David looked across the same valley and saw the same giant and saw a giant opportunity for God to move. And it's all about perspective. See, we look out over Sonoma County, and right now in Sonoma County, on Sunday, only 3% of the women, men, and children in Sonoma County are engaging with God through any church. 3%. That means 97% of our community is not engaging with God right now. And a lot of people look around at that reality. And they think that's a giant obstacle 
to what we want to do as a church. But we look at that same reality and we see a giant opportunity to help people connect with God because we've been uniquely prepared as a church to reach people who no one else is reaching. And part of our next 20 years is going to be taking major steps to reach people. God has prepared us for giant defining moments. He has. And I don't just mean us as a church. God has prepared you. If you're here this morning, it's not by accident. It's not by accident. God has brought you here to new life for this season, for a reason. And God wants to do something in us and God wants to do something through us that will change the trajectory, the spiritual culture, the spiritual climate in Petaluma and Santa Rosa and Roner Park and Katadi and Pengrove and Novato for years to come. And he wants to do it in us and through us. You're here on purpose. And I want to invite you to journey with me with this. Here's what I believe. I believe many of us will be in this room in 20 years and we'll look back on this season as a defining moment in our church where we said yes to God and we took steps and we mobilized together and we loved and served and gave like never before. And God did two things. He met us powerfully. And he used us to reach this community, to reach this world with the life-changing love of Jesus. I want to invite you to do three things with me as we prepare for next week. Next week, I'm laying out this vision for where we're going. I want you to do three things for me. The first is this. I want you to mark down these dates on your calendar. They're in your teaching notes. September 17th, 24th, 1st, 8th, and 15th. The next five Sundays, I want you to mark those down and be here. Make every effort to be here. Move heaven and earth to be here. I don't want you to miss out on even one part of this conversation. Next five Sundays. I know, I know, that's a lot of Sundays in a row. Listen, you're going to start a streak. That's amazing. That's amazing. Be here. The second thing is this. Download uh, the My Church app, app on your smartphone. Yes, we've actually got an app now called My Church App. Clever. Uh, we're just using this app resource because it's a, a free app to us, a very small cost app to us. Because in this app, I want us to do some things together. We're going to start a devotional, a daily devotional starting next week that I want everyone to go through together. It's going to take different women and men from the Bible and every day tell their story and weave their big story into our story. But in order to do that, you have to download the app. In your program, you should have the directions on how to download that app, how to find it, how to search for it, and how to pull it up. Other things in that app that are cool, uh, you can do prayer requests on that app. You can watch all of the the video messages on that app. So you miss a Sunday, you can watch the video message right there. Uh, You can connect with other people through the app. There's a ton in that app that you're going to love. But I want you to download that before next Sunday because we're going to start our reading plan together next week. And if you're not in a life group, I want to invite you to join a life group. If you don't have a life group, join a group for this season. It's the place where you take the things we're talking about and you talk in a safe spot with other people about what's going on with them. If you want information about that, come find me after church. I'll get you plugged into a life group. We'll get that going in the right direction. Friends, I want to pray for us. I, I genuinely, I've been, good grief, it's been like 15 months since God woke me up in the middle of the night And we had this all-night conversation about what our church is going to be about in the next season. And I've been praying and bringing in leaders and having conversations for 15 months. I can't wait to share it with you. I can't wait. This conversation is 20 years in the making, and it's about who we're going to be in the next season. And 
I'm excited, but I want to pray together. I want to pray for unity. I want to pray for vision. I want to pray for protection because I'm watching people all around me get taken out, relationally taken out, physically taken out. I'm watching painful things happen because I know God's on the move. And when God's on the move, the enemy likes to come and punch back. But God is moving and God's going to move powerfully. Would you join me as we pray? And then we'll wrap our time up together. Jesus, I know that you have brought us to this place in this season for a specific reason. I know that not one person in this room is here by accident, that you have invited us, you've designed us, you've brought us here to fully engage with you, connect with you and partner with you, and then to be the church community that reaches into Sonoma County and loves holistically, and serves beautifully, that lives open-handedly, and loves freely. So God, as we lay out vision, and hope, and next steps for this next season as a church, would you continue to guide and lead? Would you protect this community of people, both physically protect us, and protect the unity that you have so beautifully brought into this church, as we have real big conversations. Lord, I look forward to the day 20 years from now where we're sitting here and thinking back to this defining moment where I'm 57 years old talking to my friends about that time when we were just crazy enough to believe that you could do in and through us something that you'd never done in an entire generation. God, we look forward to that day And we ask that in this day and in these weeks, you would continue to make us the kind of people who are ready to say yes to you for that day that we all dream about. We pray in your name. Amen. Amen. Friends, it's going to be a fun journey. Right now would be a fine time to download that app if you want it. If you have questions, you can find me afterwards. Uh, It was fun. Last service was like a U2 concert. Everyone started throwing their apps up in the phone, which I assumed meant they wanted me to go longer and do an encore. So I just kept talking. Um, But I won't do that even if you do put your phones in the air. We're going to do two things as we wrap our time up. One, we're going to receive the offering. So if you came prepared to give, you can get your offering ready. And you can use the, use the envelope right there inside your program. You can text to give. You can give online. There's lots of ways to give. You can give on the new app. So you can download that app. Boop. You can give right there. Um, we're going to receive the offering because it is our generosity that makes what God is doing possible. You can also turn in your Start Here cards with prayer requests and answered prayers and things you're celebrating. So you can do that as well. If you're a guest, I would love to meet you. I think you're here at the perfect time because you get to find out what our church is going to be about for the next 20 years, who we're going to be. And this is just a great thing to do. So I'll be out at the back area. I'd love to meet you. All right, guest services team, why don't you come on down? We're passing those baskets. You can drop in your Start Here card. You can drop in your offering and... Um, Let me see what I want to talk about. Next week, next week I'm laying out the vision. You do not want to miss next week. I don't know. I I, I know. I think you never want to miss church because in my opinion, it just keeps getting better. But you really don't want to miss next week. It's one of those like Sundays. Like think, think Easter, think Christmas, think Super Bowl, praying and preparing for the Bears to win. Think September 17th. These are all four on the same level. You don't want to miss next week. If I have not sold you, listen, I'm giving away free stuff next week to everybody who comes. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information at newlifepetaluma.org.
Thanks for listening.